Chapter 9 of The Life of St. Paul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of St. Paul by Francis Alice Forbes. Chapter 9 The Fellowship of His Sufferings. From Corinth, Paul had arranged to sail to Jerusalem, carrying with him the contributions that he had caused to be collected for the Mother Church in all the Christian communities which he had founded. By obeying thus the injunctions of the Apostles to be mindful of the Church in Jerusalem, he hoped that a brotherly union might be established between his new converts and the Christians of Judea. But the Jews of Corinth had not forgotten their grudge against the Apostle. Gallio was still governor. There was no hope from that quarter. They resolved to manage matters for themselves. They had plenty of money, and they knew from experience that the consciences of pagans were not over-delicate. Paul was about to set sail. What could be easier than to bribe the captain of the ship in which he took passage, to see to it that he did not land. Dead men tell no tales, and the sea keeps her secrets well. Fortunately, Paul was warned in time. Giving up all thought of the sea passage, he determined to take the land route through Macedonia. The little band of disciples who had been chosen to accompany him to Jerusalem were sent on to await his arrival in Troas, while Paul, accompanied by Luke, went northwards through Beroea and Thessalonica to Philippi. From thence they took ship and came to Troas, where they remained for seven days, to the joy of the little church founded there by Paul, after his hasty flight from Ephesus. It was the night before his departure, and the brethren were gathered together in an upper chamber for the breaking of the Eucharistic bread. In one of the windows, open to the cool night air, sat a young disciple named Oitychus. There were many last injunctions to be given at this farewell meeting, many dangers against which the little community must be warned, many exhortations to stand fast in the face of Christ. The room was crowded, the air, heated by many lamps, grew warm and close, a sudden outcry interrupted the discourse. Oitychus, overcome by sleep, had fallen from the window into the court below. He was dead. Hastening to the spot, Paul stretched himself upon the lifeless form and prayed. Be not afraid, he said. His soul is in him. Rising, he returned to the upper chamber, while the disciples brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. The bread of life was broken to the faithful, and the last instructions given. The sun was rising over the sea, when Paul bade farewell to his little flock, and set off alone on his way to Assos, where he was to meet his companions. Down the coast they sailed, past the islands of Lesbos and Chios, till they came to Miletus. Paul, in haste to reach his journey's end, had determined not to land on Ephesus, but now, finding that it was the intention of the captain 
to remain for a few days at Miletus, he sent word to the Ephesian elders to meet him there. Reminding them at what cost and amidst what dangers he had preached to them the gospel of Christ, he told them that the Spirit was calling him to Jerusalem. God had made known to him, he said, that suffering and afflictions awaited him there, but such things held no fear for him, if so be it he might do his master's work. And now he knew that they, the beloved disciples to whom he had preached the kingdom, should see his face no more. Let them therefore watch and take heed of the dangers which beset the Church of Christ. Let them guard the flock committed to their care, commending them with words of love and tenderness to the God whom they served, he knelt and prayed for the last time in their midst. Their grief broke out in tears and lamentations. Falling on the neck of Paul, they kissed him, grieving most of all for the word that he had said, that they should see his face no more. We tore ourselves away from them, says St. Luke. The last thing that met their eyes as they sailed away from Miletus was the sorrowful little group on the seashore, straining their eyes in one long last look at the beloved face which was vanishing forever from their sight. In Venice the travelers found a ship that was crossing direct to Syria, in which they took passage. Landing at Tyre, where the vessel was to discharge her cargo, they visited the Christians in the city. The presentiment of coming evil had made itself felt there also, but Paul was deaf to their entreaties to give up the journey to Jerusalem. At Caesarea they left the ship, for their intention was to continue the journey by land, and spent some days in the house of Philip the deacon, the friend and companion of St. Stephen. Hearing of their arrival, Agabus the prophet, who long years ago had foretold the coming of the famine, came down from the mountains of Judea. Entering the assembly of the brethren, he took Paul's girdle, and with it bound his own hands and feet. So, said he, shall the man who owns this girdle be bound by the Jews in Jerusalem, and delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. This solemn repetition of a warning, so often heard before, made a deep impression on the disciples. Crowding round St. Paul, they besought him not to leave them. Of what use was it, they asked, to go open-eyed into the danger? What are you doing, he cried, weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready, not only to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. The will of the Lord be done, they answered in sorrow. They might break his heart, but they could not move that steadfast will. It was of no use to fight against God. One thing at least they could do to help him. Manasson the Cyprian, an old disciple, had a house in Jerusalem. He, with a few of the brethren, would go with them, that they might have at least a safe lodging during their stay. Amidst sad forebodings, Paul took leave of his friends in Caesarea, and the little party set out on foot. The brethren received as gladly, says St. Luke, 
Peter was absent, probably in Rome, and Mark and Silas were with him. James alone of the twelve seems to have been in Jerusalem. The elders having met together, Paul told them in detail the results of his ministry among the Gentiles. The pastors of the church rejoiced openly at the good news. To them, God's hand was manifest in the works that had been done, and yet their hearts were troubled. They knew too well that many of the Jewish converts in Jerusalem looked with envious and unfriendly eyes at Paul's proceedings. Even the little band of disciples who surrounded him were mostly converted Gentiles, and would be a cause of offence to these men. It was St. James himself who suggested a plan by which he hoped to disarm these hostile critics. Let Paul do something to prove that he did not, as his enemies asserted, despise the law. Several of the poorer brethren, having taken the Nazarites' woe, were unable to pay for the sacrifices, which were necessary in order that they might fulfill its obligations. Let Paul bestow on them the necessary means, and so perform a charitable and pious action that was looked upon by every Jew as praiseworthy. Paul was ready to do anything in reason to promote peace, to be all things to all men that he might gain souls to Christ. He agreed at once to the proposal. Losing no time, he went next day to the temple with the four Christians, and having purified himself, made all necessary arrangements with the priests. There he remained for seven days, taking part in the prayers and sacrifices of his companions. Now it happened, at this very time, that there were in Jerusalem certain Asiatic Jews, from those very synagogues, whose persecutions had so embittered Paul's stay at Ephesus. They had met him soon after his arrival, in company with Trophimus, one of his Ephesian converts, and had passed him with a scowl of hatred. Catching sight of him at prayer in the court of the Israelites, which it was death for a Gentile to enter, they jumped to the conclusion that Trophimus was there also, this Paul was capable of any insult to the law. He had, of course, taken his Gentile convert with him into the holy place. So, at all events, they choose to assume. Rushing into the outer court, they raised an outcry that the temple was being profaned by this man who despises the law. In a few moments the place was crowded with angry Jews, who, falling upon Paul and beating him furiously, dragged him out of all the sacred enclosure. It would have been all over with the apostle, had not Claudius Lysias, the Roman tribune who was in command of the fortress of Antonia, hearing the tumult, hastened to bring a band of soldiers to the rescue. Having rescued Paul, the tribune asked who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing, some another. Kill him, kill him, they yelled, pressing threateningly on the soldiers as they began to move towards the fortress, carrying Paul with them. When they had reached the foot of the staircase which led into the castle, Paul bent towards the tribune who was marching at his side. May I speak to you? he asked in Greek. 
Lysias was greatly astonished, for he had concluded that his prisoner was an Egyptian adventurer, who had lately caused a riot in the city. "'Who are you, then?' he asked. "'I am a Jew from Tarsus, a citizen of no mean city,' replied Paul. "'I beg you to let me speak to the people.' The tribune assenting, he turned and faced his enemies, for he was now in safety above the heads of the raging crowd. "'Brethren and fathers,' he said, for he had caught sight of some of the members of the Sanhedrin amongst the mob. "'Listen, I beseech you, to what I have to say.' He had been, he assured them, as great a zealot for the law as any of them. If he had changed his opinion, it was through a revelation of God. Recounting his early life, his conversion at Damascus, and the events which followed, he came at last to his mission to the Gentiles. At this word, the storm broke out again more furiously than ever. The mob below went mad. They tore their garments and threw dust into the air, shaking their fists and grinding their teeth at their enemy. Away with him, they cried, he is not fit to live. The tribune hurried Paul into the fortress, and having shut the door, bade the soldiers scourge him. "'Is it lawful to scourge a Roman citizen?' asked Paul quietly of the centurion, who was binding him to the stake. The man's hands fell. He hurried to the tribune and warned him to be careful. Lysias was utterly at a loss. He questioned the prisoner and found his statement to be true. What was to be done? The only way to get to the bottom of this affair, he at last concluded, was to bring his captive before the Sanhedrin. He would guard him well, however, for he had had experience of the temper of the Jews. The council therefore assembled, and Paul was brought in. It was easy to see what courtesy and justice awaited him here. Strike him on the mouth, cried Ananias, the high priest, as soon as he opened his lips. A quarrel soon broke out between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Some were against him, some in his favor. The discussion grew so furious that Lysias, fearing lest Paul should be torn to pieces, ordered the soldiers to carry him back again to the fortress. The shades of night closed in on the city over which Christ had wept. Paul lay on his prison bed, heartsick and weary. Suddenly the darkness grew luminous, and his Lord stood beside him. Be of good courage, he said, as thou hast borne witness of me in Jerusalem, so must thou also do in Rome. Before the day had dawned, forty of the Jews meeting together had bound themselves by a fearful oath neither to eat nor to drink, until they had killed Paul. A scheme by which they hoped to get the prisoner into their hands came to the ears of Paul's nephew who was in Jerusalem. Going straight to the castle, the young man asked to see Paul, who had him taken to the tribune. The plot was revealed to Lysias, who determined to get his prisoner away as quickly and as quietly as possible. Felix, the governor of Judea, was at Caesarea. He might be able to settle this troublesome matter. Having written him a letter, 
explaining what had happened, he sent Paul secretly away in the dead of night, guarded by a large body of soldiers. End of chapter 9